Welcome to the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast, a conversation built to help you address the mess, connect the dots, and defeat addiction. Doing your work matters because if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Life is tough and we're here to help. I'm your host, Ben Derrick, and as always, I'll be joined by Roan Hunter. Let's jump right in. Ron, I'm going to keep asking you this question until you have a legitimate answer. How are you today? And before you say this, Eva's not here. You have to tell us, your listening audience, how you are. Dude, hang on. I need to. Te- I need to. I need to text her. This episode better be on a meshment. <laughs> yeah, it's you know you can always tell you know it's just the level of codependency when meeting with a couple and you know I'll ask the guy you know like you know how are things and dude, the first thing he does he doesn't say a word he he just looks at his wife. Oh boy, yeah. You're like, well, I guess I know the work we're gonna do for the yeah. next ten oh, sessions. Yeah. yeah no hey, doubt. speaking of, you've had a really busy season lately cool man we have uh just uh lot, lots of things happening uh this past uh uh just just recently we uh we went up and we were with the guys at the the samson society nate larkin who wrote the book samson and the pirate monks guest on uh, the podcast yeah, yeah has been on the podcast listen to that that's a great episode uh nate invited us up uh me and eva and roe um uh who uh, works with us and is a CSAT therapist as well um, uh, to come and speak to their annual gathering. Uh, I think it was somewhere around 175 men from all over the country. Um, and it was just really neat. Uh, and I think uh, they certainly, uh, it was very well received because you had three different perspectives around sexual brokenness, certainly mine. Uh, and then Eva as the partner, and then Roe as uh, an adult child that grew up. Uh, you know, he was uh, about I don't know about three years old when all hell broke loose. And uh, he's he, Roe always says he's been in recovery since he was three years old. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, but but it was just you know I think it's man it's pretty special. Um, it was first time that the three of us have done that together, and so uh, pretty pretty unique. Uh, to have, uh, you know, three different uh, just perspectives around all this um, in one setting. Yeah, you bring up an interesting topic, actually, that that shows up in the interview today, uh, the idea of an intensive. And I think Mm. just the word sounds pretty aggressive, but it really doesn't mean intensity, right? It means we're going to put a lot of information in a short period of time to make it more accessible to begin the work, you and Eva are big believers in intensives. Man, we are because, you know, we call them intensives because basically what you're doing is, uh, you know, in two days or three days, uh, you're doing like six or eight or nine months worth of counseling. It's that that hour-to-hour weekly session, and you're just taking all a lot of the things. Actually, it's better because one of the things is you don't have to deal with the fire drill of the week. Uh, you know, a couple gets sideways or things are, you know, going crazy at home. And um, you, you get out of that because you're doing these intensives over, you know, it's like, you know, eight to five, nine to five over a two-day or three-day period. And what we find is just it's so much more effective. Plus, the group setting is one of the most powerful pieces. And, of course, you know, people early into um 
you know, we call them the normies, right? Uh, the normies, that stuff freaks them out because like, well, man, we don't want to talk about this stuff, other people. But boy, you know, um, so many of us, um, uh, well, anybody that's on the journey of uh, wholeness and healing, uh, we just know that, man, the, the help, that you're going to get the best help is is in community. And so doing this type of thing uh, in a group with others, walking a very similar path is where, man, that's the best best healing, uh, the best growth. is. That's where it happens. So our guest today, Debbie Laser, she makes this point, and it's n- nearly at the end of the episode, and there's so much strong stuff in this interview. But she makes the point that when groups are sitting together and you're seeing people who are sexually broken and and partners involved with that and they're beautiful women both inside and out, it communicates to the other partners in the room, wait a minute, this may not be because of my deficiency. Maybe I didn't drive my partner to do this and that's communicated subtly through the environment that was a powerful moment in this interview. Oh yeah, no doubt. And um, man, we see that uh, when when the betrayed partner uh, gets engaged in their process, and it is so important uh, just for them to do their own work, um, regardless. And Debbie speaks to that uh, of just like this is just part of your own own work and becoming the best human <laughs> that God <laughs> created you to be. Yeah, yeah. So without further delay, here's our interview with Debbie Laser. Well, today we have Debbie Laser with us uh, and to talk to us about her new book, uh, From Trauma to Transformation. It's one I just recently read and it has become one of my new favorite books for partners. It's really, really good and very practical. Yeah. So welcome, Debbie. Yeah, thank you. It's really good to be here with both of you. Yeah, so glad you could join us. Um, you know, just, you, you know, the work you and Mark have done over the years and uh, certainly paved the way for, um, you know, the work that we do. And so appreciative of the two of you. And um, I know certainly the loss of Mark uh, uh few years ago um, in your life was difficult and um, and as we were talking earlier you're you're doing well um, even with that loss and and moving on and continuing the work uh, you guys uh, started the faithful and true ministries and um, have written uh, many other books uh, and just uh, certainly a wealth of knowledge and resources and are just so appreciative of the work that you guys uh, started and the work that you continue. Glad you're glad you're with us. You know, I've often thought um, that it's rather paradoxical that it was really the crash and burn in our lives back in a little before year 15 of our marriage that led us eventually to do the work we're doing and focus on what we're what we're focused on. But we went through um, you know many years of our own hard work and worked with some amazing counseling at that time when really sex addiction was hardly even being identified. So uh, to think that God led us to all this terrific uh, work was, um, I'm, I'm sure, part of his plan to prepare us for what he wanted our work to look like in the future. So oh, yeah. it was really wonderful to be able to pull that together. We had you know, different careers in our lives, and, and when we pulled that together, it seemed like that's when we really started thriving. Um, 
and in terms of how we were able to serve God and others in this journey. So it was um, it was really good work, and we both really loved doing that together. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. our journey is very similar, too. Uh, yeah. Same, you know, long-term recovery and just a mm-hmm. wealth of wisdom and knowledge that comes out of, of it. Uh, learn the hard way, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, you're one of the few couples I know of that work together in the field as well. And um, Mark and I always believe that, you know, in some ways, the couples healing, helping other couples is one of the most effective ways of doing that. So it's it's lovely to see that that's how you are doing that yeah. as well. Oh, Thank yeah. Thank you. Yeah, our, you know, discovery day, uh, reveal day, uh, I admitted that Eva had a problem with pornography, which was the tip of the iceberg, and that was in 1990. And I think Mark was, uh, for was it 88 or somewhere around? 1987. 87. Is, um, yeah, and, and we often, we tell people, you know, there, there wasn't a whole lot of help out there back then. <laughs> No, that's true. And how Mark, uh, you know, it, it was really, I believe, a God thing that he was led to Pat Carnes first treatment center um, here in Minneapolis, which is why eventually we, we relocated here. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, that was really a, a gift. And it was only three days after the discovery of what was going on, his intervention. And so we got help really fast. It was kind of like having the ambulance show up and, you know, take him off for help and me eventually to show show up for family week. And we were off to the races within a, a couple <laughs> yeah. of days of uh, this crash. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. We uh, we always say we just, we kind of wandered in the desert. We had a great counselor, but but just not a lot of direction and, um, and certainly... Uh, you know, there's just there's so many resources available today, and uh, I, you guys were a big part of you know just kind of paving the way. Um, and so, but yeah, I don't think people realize that they're that they're just um, fortunate today because there are tremendous resources available for sure. Well, I'd love to hear uh, just how you decided to write the book and what that process was like for you. Uh, there's some really great things in it that I would encourage any listener to get online uh, at the different places to purchase books. I got mine through uh, Amazon. I also did Audible. Uh, I like to I like to listen and read at the same time. Uh, I underline many many places. I underlined. Um, so anyway, what what motivated you to write it? Well, it's interesting because um, really the probably the most traumatic event in my life um, as, as a young person, I say that today now, in my yeah. 30s, um, was when Mark's sex addiction came out. And like I said, we had such wonderful help there that, you know, it was evident that things were changing really fast for us. And we were growing in ways that I think we had no idea that change was possible. And not only for each of us individually, but for our relationship as well. Um, so that led to eventually my, my going back to graduate school and getting my uh, counseling degree as a licensed marriage and family therapist. And when I was working on my thesis there, I ran into some fabulous work by Tadeshi and Calhoun, who are psychologists from University of North Carolina. And their work was really around post-traumatic growth. 
Um, in other words, how can we use really difficult things in our life um, after the fact to actually grow from that and not become a victim of that? I, I was just on fire. You know how what happens when you plug into something that gets your passion going. And I knew this was the story of my life at that point, too, that although the traumatic experience of sexual addiction had been very difficult, it also had led to so much growth in my life. And so I did my thesis on that and then followed up with a research project with the University of Duquesne and some of my colleagues there. And um, I, I just knew that this was um, really my life story of telling how in the world you go from something that's really uh, hard, difficult, traumatic, a trial, an adversity, whatever you want to call it, and allow God to use that to grow you up in ways that maybe you weren't even ava- you weren't even aware that that kind of growth was there for you. Right. Um, I love the fact that at some point I recognized all the clinical work that had been done and the research on all kinds of traumatic events in life, including war, sexual abuse, um, natural disasters, loss of loved ones, and all those kinds of things, all pointed to this growth post-trauma. But it's also biblical, mm-hmm. you know. I, I we hear it numerous times, but one of my favorite verses is in James one, two through four, about consider it joy when we face these trials, um, because eventually God will use them to grow us up in ways uh, so that we're not incomplete and we're not missing something about our spiritual growth. And that has surely been the definition of my life, I believe. And there's much more to do, by the way. I'm not grown up yet. <laughs> but I, have, I have many things, and I love that hope that I give clients that I work with that this is difficult. We're going to embrace the difficult parts, the hurt, the pain. And if you stick with me, I also want to help you figure out um, what God wants you to learn in this so that you also do not need to be incomplete in anything in your life. So that's really the backstory. Uh-huh. And um, the book really came out of the 20 years or so that I led therapy groups for wives here at our counseling center and also my individual work with women over all those years. I realized that while what brought women to me was betrayal in their relationships, we're calling it today a lot of relational trauma or betrayal trauma. Um, I like the word relational um, betrayal instead because what I find is not all people are traumatized. Um, Many are, and it's not all. And so what I do know when I work with women is that that is the story that brings them to me, and we focus a lot on that in the beginning, especially in our groups. And what really ends up happening is we start talking about everything in life, um, relationships with mom, dad, sisters, friends, workplace, and so forth. And what came out of that were all these practical things that I began to realize were just the next right steps to learning something new that took you eventually to realizing things were turning around for the better. You were becoming a better person. Your relationships were, were enriched. Your faith journey was growing. You had different outlooks on life, and you had different priorities that became important to you. All those things were a part of the post-traumatic growth. Mm. Well, anyway, I, I kind of get going, don't I? And obviously that's, <laughs> awesome. that's a sense of my passion. <laughs> 
Um, but that's how the book came to be. I thought, man, if I could put all of these kind of counseling ideas in a book, maybe people could do some of this stuff on their own. They wouldn't have to be in therapy with someone all the time. Although I don't recommend it without help, obviously, along the way. Right. But they are a lot of things anybody could use. Absolutely. And that's what I love about it so much is that like it's in the back of the book, you have those gentle assignments. So I love that. At the end, you know, they can read a couple of chapters and then go and do some assignments. Part of helping the partner become aware of what's going on inside of her. And then the list uh, that, that is there for what you need to see in your spouse is excellent. Uh, we have actually used that. <laughs> yeah, we used it. We used it Monday night, as a matter of fact, that, in, was a, in, yes, in our in our couples group. Yeah, we absolutely. Sure did. We sure yeah. did. Women don't always know exactly what they might be looking for. Um, and yeah, I did create that how to build trust with someone. I, I think for a lot of us, when we've met the love of our life back when, and I was. 18, I believe, when I met Mark. And so we were engaged, dated, and were engaged for four years before we married. But I mean, I just love the guy so much. I just trusted him implicitly with everything, you know, and I never thought about it at all. And so I think um, our, our journey through sexual addiction allowed me to figure out how to trust differently and more maturely. And so learning how to trust someone who is working on earning your trust is is one important part of that. Also learning how to trust yourself and to trust God more in this journey are two other really important parts to that as well. Yeah, very much. And uh, the experiential about the eggs, the throwing of the eggs was really yeah. good. <laughs> I, I used that too in a, in a group setting. I thought that was oh, yes. really good. Uh, yeah. You know, and I, I, the ter- I don't know if our listeners know this, but uh, I know many, many people, many couples use Phanos as a tool, uh-huh. as a way to check in with one another. And that is something that you and Mark mm-hmm created, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yes, we did. Yes. That's exactly right. Yeah. Actually, it started out as fan originally, and then we added the O because we realized how important it was for couples to be owning things with each other. And then we added the S, of course, which was about the daily check-in about sobriety so that she wouldn't have to ask that question of her husband and kind of sound like a parent in that place, but he would offer that information to her on a daily basis. Um, You know, it expanded when we use it here. I also encourage uh, the wives to think about what they're working on changing for themselves. So the S becomes a bit about their own spiritual growth. And, um, you know, some women are working on their anger and how they present that. Some are working on their own eating disorders or using food for emotional comfort. Some on their own alcohol use or they're withdrawing, that would have been a big one for me in terms of how I was coping. So we're trying to make this um, more of a companionship as you journey through getting well. There are most parts of this journey that you can relate to one another in terms of your own life story if you start looking for those pieces. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that was in in your book, Shattered Vows, uh, Thanos originally, I think. Yeah, it was the first time we published it, although we had been using 
for quite some time before that. Um, but that was the first published version of Thanos. Yeah, right? which is another great resource. Great, uh, uh, yeah, Shattered Vows, uh, absolutely. Um, and in the Seven Desires of Every Human Heart, uh, that's another one that we uh, we use, uh, and uh, that y'all wrote the book and recommend. on. Recommend. Yeah, recommend that often, even as just uh, another way to check in. Often. Sometimes for couples, um, the book Seven Desires is really not about sexual addiction. It's about um, how individuals can learn how to be more vulnerable and safe in in their relationships with others. It's not even specifically for husbands and wives. Um, I I think you find when you start using the iceberg model that we talk about in that book, and you learn how to share aspects of yourself, you, you are in fact opening up yourselves to be more vulnerable. And if you are also trying to converse with someone who has that desire too, that vulnerability really pulls you together. Um, I, I still run into this all the time when I'm working with women, when they're dis- describing a difficult conversation with their husbands, it usually ends up with her asking him questions about something. I just got off a session last hour where that was the case. She's been working with me forever, and she had to ask her husband if he was actually, in fact, looking at some of the women on the booth on the beach. And I said, well... Let's go back and try this conversation using our iceberg. And what would it sound like if you shared your feelings and the story in your head and your needs and a deep desire of your heart rather than asking questions? Um, She goes, yeah, he always gets so defensive. And I said, well, that's the problem with questions. They're like, (laughs) and when you interrogate people, they shut down, you know. Exactly, yes. So anyway, we love using that material in our couples workshop and practicing helping couples um, practice talking about those layers of the iceberg and how they can get more vulnerable themselves thinking about how to do that with each other. Mm-hmm. So, well, thank you. You guys are very supportive of our work. We are. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I even, I do a lot of uh, men's uh, coaching weekends and just I work primarily with men. And so, um, yeah, it, one of the, uh, on the weekend, uh, I talk about using the seven desires as a way to journal. You know, how are these being met in your life? And so, again, it's just, you know, working with men, trying to get them to, you know, go to the, you know, deeper places and go vulnerable. And uh, it's a, I encourage them to use it uh, in, uh, for, in journaling time as well. So, um, it, uh, you, you've mentioned it, but uh, just uh, talk a little bit more about Faithful and True. And um, I know uh, the intensives, uh, men's, women's, couples, um, and just the, you know, how often do you do, uh, do you know, do y'all have those? Um, and yeah. how long are they? Okay. Well, thanks for asking me to talk about that. Actually, when Mark passed away, um, he and I, of course, co-founded Faithful and True many years ago. And uh, in the beginning, it was just he and I. And we saw couples together, and I saw the wife individually. He saw the man. And um, in that, of course, Mark had been developing uh, an intensive workshop for men for a long time, and which is how our, our good friend Eli Machen came into our conversation. Um, but when we finally moved and bought a... 
um, an office center here in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, which is a suburb of Minneapolis, we began to bring all of these workshops back home to where we were. And so um, ever since 2005, well, actually, it was a few years before that when we were in rental space, um, we have been doing men's three-day intensive workshops for healing sexual addiction um, every month. So men come here and work with our team. We have really wonderful team of men who are trained in the field, and most of them, not all, but most of them have their own stories. So we love that about our staff as they, they bring their own personal story as well as their credentials to lead our workshops. So we have we really had thousands of men come through our program and have found a changed life. You know, obviously it's not just three days. It's the beginning of finding ongoing counseling and group support, as you all know, and lots more work for a while. Um, but then we also started offering the three-day women's workshops. We do those quarterly. And again, they're the Thursday, Friday, Saturday intensives. Um, we have women from all over the country, even outside the country, who come here and um, I, I think people know us because of all the training and speaking and writing, of course, Mark did, and, and I've added to that some, but he was, really, he was really the driving force for being known nationally and internationally. Um, but it's just wonderful when women come here and they're sitting in a room of 25 or 30 women from all over the place looking at these beautiful women. I think it really helps them to know that they're not alone for sure, but also that it's not because of her, you know? It's not because she doesn't look right, isn't this, that, or the other thing. We're looking at this room full of really beautiful women. I don't mean just outwardly, I mean inwardly as well. And um, it leads them on a real foundational journey, again, of finding some of the purpose in the pain and how in the world is God going to use this to grow me and maybe my marriage. If my husband works on his part, there's all the hope that that could happen. And if not, what will it mean to be a standalone person and really claim your life for yourself and um, live live as a, a whole person, not just a victim limping along, believing you've been injured and you'll never come out of that place. So we have a lot of hope at our workshops, and um, we really enjoy working with people on the front end. Our couples workshop is also three days. We're kind of stuck on the three days, <laughs> but that does seem to work. Um, it's really for couples who are um, more stable in their relationship, so it's not an early-on process like some programs are. It's really to help them build that emotional and spiritual connection um, we don't focus on addiction per se at that workshop, but we focus on how, how to bring them together through the iceberg model and other teachings that we do about couples' development over time and lots of good stuff. So um, that's a really special time to see couples really making progress after they've done a lot of their own hard work themselves yeah. oh yeah it is it is it, it, this work is hard but it is so rewarding uh, when you see those things beginning to happen um, and as you said you know just the the hope that that you can offer um, certainly to partners uh, and I know mark did um, on, on the other side of the fence and I think that that's so important you know when when this level of crisis we always say there's and you you I've probably said it and know it, but there's no greater crisis in a marriage uh, than when sexual betrayal, uh, you know, surfaces. 
and uh, maybe the death of a child, or certainly that would be greater. But but boy, um, on a relational level, um, there's it's it's DEFCON five when this stuff breaks out because of just the nature of you know the the trauma and how it cuts across the soul. Uh, I mean the depth of it. And and so Debbie, just for a minute, talk about the um, like a partner that um, in just how you know so often they can get stuck in that place of you know just anger and bitter and uh, you know kind of why me and uh, and, and helping someone uh, that's been betrayed uh, like how how do you get unstuck what what do you how do you help partners along those lines? Well, I think it's true that first of all we need to embrace the pain that does come from betrayal. And no matter how traumatic it is, for some, you know, it's their second time around or they knew about this even before they were married. I mean, everyone comes from a different situation and it still creates pain no matter what. I think it's really important to be able to hear that and to be careful about our timing of how we introduce things. Um, I think if there was a problem with some of the earlier ways that we looked at partners, and this would certainly be true for me, coming out of um, the Golden Valley Health Center, which was a treatment center where Mark was. They were very invested in getting me to look at myself, you know, like from day one. And um, uh, to be frank, I, I thought I was doing, I was pretty good <laughs> day one, you know. I'm like, hey, I, I've been here, I've been supportive, we've got three beautiful kids. I mean, like, he's your guy, you work on him. Hey, me too, Debbie. That, me that, too. That sounds familiar. Um, uh, <laughs> it does. Yeah. Well, like I said, we're sisters yeah. here. Okay. But I do think it's important, as much as I hold the hope, and I know I've lived a life that this can lead to some amazing growth. Um, I, we, I need to be careful about getting too excited about that too early on. I can mention it. I can know it. But I can say, you know what, this is a really hard place. And we're going to work on embracing the grieving process you need to be part of, to understand what you've lost, um, to be surrounded by other people. I think um, one of the hardest things for partners early on is the isolation of maybe only being with a counselor and that's it. Um, we're huge proponents of community and whether that's 12-step groups or Celebrate Recovery or ideally our professionally led groups are really important to our clients um, so that they can, you know, also have others hear about that pain. And I think we're, we're able to manage that more when we know we're not alone and others get us. And so they're not trying to fix us. They're not trying to tell us what we need to do. I find that so important as a therapist especially is not to be giving advice to women about what I think they should do or try to diagnose their husbands before I've even met them. Um, I think one of the hardest things I hear so much these days is what a narcissist they're living with. And then they go around with that diagnosis and, you know, I just, um, labeling people is not what I'm interested in. Helping people understand their pain is. So there's a lot of that in the beginning. And I think slowly, slowly introducing this idea that maybe I could just look at least at how I'm responding to things. And do I like myself when I react with this kind of rage or I don't talk for three days or whatever I'm doing? Um, do I like myself? And I tell women that at the very least, I want you to love who you are, even through hard things. 
So are, are you wanting to work on that? Yes, yes. They almost always say that. And so we start looking at how they do respond and what they're thinking and what are they believing at this point. And we slowly start to move into maybe some things they want to change. And I have a little check-in process I use with clients to talk about self-care and what they're doing on behalf of themselves to take good care of themselves. I talk with them about what their one of their questions is what they're not doing well that week, either for themselves or for the relationship. And we talk how that can be a little piece of maybe what they want to work on changing while they're working on this healing journey. It's just a slow process, I believe, of getting a person to be a gentle observer of themselves. That's a word that I love and uh, was given to me by my therapist years ago. When we become that gentle observer, we can watch and decide if there's some things we want to change so we we can love ourselves. And um, we can also be a gentle observer of other people without being judgmental, without having to give advice. It's just a learning process of um, not beating myself up about something, but just noticing some things. So uh, those are some of the initial things. We need community. We need our faith more than anything. We need to know that um, you know, I need something more than myself to solve this problem. There needs to be God in this process. In my, I don't know how people go through these processes without a faith journey, frankly. And being able to trust something bigger than us who will step in when our limited knowledge and our limited way of understanding things is never going to be enough for us to totally understand things. Um, so... We work on that as well. Where are people with that? Um, you know, for most women, there is some fallout with their faith, to be quite honest, when, you know, we believe we've lived a pretty good life. We've tried to be faithful. We've tried to be a good person. And yet, you know, for whatever reason, he's allowed this kind of tragedy in our life. Why? You know, and we can be really angry about that. And so we need a place where we can just be angry and not have someone quoting scripture to us and talking us out of our feelings and thoughts about that. Um, so those are really important first steps, I believe. Mm -hmm. So good. So appreciate you mentioning this idea of just, you know, the, the and I'll just use the term, the addict, uh, getting labeled as a narcissist. And um, we have seen that, and I not sure exactly uh, where that's coming from, um, and and because to the partner it's almost like, well, this is hopeless. You know, he he'll never change, and those types of things. And gosh, it's just so not true. Um, um, and but there there seems to be more and more prevalent in in our world in this arena these days. Um, on coming from somewhere, and uh, it's certainly not helpful. Mm -hmm. Could I tell you Mark's definition of um, what's going on with this narcissistic label? Because I love it. No, tell us. He, what is it? He, he was uh, brilliant, I, I believe, in some of these understandings of why people do what they do. Um, you know, you've talked about the seven desires, and, and you may recall that one of those is about the desire to be blessed. Yes. Or, or loved unconditionally. We all have that desire, you know, and ideally in our families, our original families, we're getting a lot of that from our parents and other, other adults in our life. And for some, that's not the case. You know, they're being hurt, they're being abused, they're being abandoned. 
they may be getting that as well at school through bullying or whatever. But life experiences do tend to um, shatter that belief that um, I'm worthy and I'm valuable, which is about being blessed, that I, people love me just for who I am. I don't have to earn the blessing. Um, one of the problems, as Mark saw it with all the men he worked with, is that um, across the board, they were all struggling with having believed that they were blessed. In fact, they were, for the most part, zero for seven of the seven desires we talk about in our book. Um, so Mark would say that, in his opinion, what happens to a person when they aren't receiving the blessing is they learn to bless themselves to try to manage the pain of that. Mm. And what does that look like? It looks like narcissism. Ah, that's really so good. So if, if we look at people who, in our opinion, are kind of full of themselves, you know, or they're talking about themselves, or they're always trying to build themselves up in some way uh, around others, talking about all the great stuff they're doing or whatever, I think one of the things we might consider is that inside that little boy or that little girl, same thing happens women is a very hurting wounded child who is somehow trying to convince themselves that they're worthy and so it gives us a whole different outlook on, on how to approach and if we do what we're almost not naturally inclined to do because those kind of people generally push us away we're kind of like we don't want to compliment them on anything else or talk about anything good about them because they already got enough of that going you know but if we approach that person and truthfully, honestly, put a hand on a shoulder or just say, you know, you're a really good person and I like being with you. You might be amazed at the reaction you get, usually tears, usually a shake of the head, like, no, that can't be. Um, but I, um, I, too, just would love for people to think about some of the alternatives to what is causing people to do what they're doing. And when we can look for those root causes, and some of the things that are not there for people, what is missing, we begin to see a lot of behaviors that are connected in kind of a false sense of trying to get a desire met in their life, which in our mind describes pretty routinely what sexual addiction is. Oh, yeah, and, that's really good. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I think uh, today there's, there's you know, uh, millions of TikTok therapists. Uh, everybody's uh, diagnosing themselves and diagnosing everybody else. Um, and it's just, it's just the labels uh, can be damaging and dangerous in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the reasons that we don't take insurance um, at our counseling center because you do have to diagnose people when you take insurance. And um, we're, we're so opposed to labeling people. Um, especially when you've seen them one time or two, and then you got to flap, you know, you got to slap a label on someone for the rest of their medical life. Um, yeah, we're really very hesitant about labeling, and um, even I have to say, Ron, even labeling someone as an addict, yeah, we I feel really the same prefer way. just saying you struggle with sexual addiction because it doesn't identify who you are as a person. We totally and agree with that. Yeah. yeah right. mm -hmm. But those labels get thrown around, obviously, a lot. Yeah. I, you know, often say, you know, we've got two certifications in sex addiction work and and I are one. 
Uh, however, we just really don't like the term because it's a misnomer in many ways. And again, the, the labeling in uh, so many images are conjured up uh, in the general public of when you say the term, the word sex addiction. Um, and I just always ask people, do you watch the news? Uh, because about every day there's some form of sexual brokenness, which is our preferred term, uh, that's in the news, right? And the whole culture is sexually broken. And, and so, it, and, and at the root of it, you know, it's an intimacy disorder. Um, and on the addiction, it, it's, it's trauma and it's anxiety and it's depression um, when you just really get down to the root started with that early early trauma. Yes, yes. Well, so important to look at that and um, for all of us. And again, I think for um, a spouse or a partner of someone who's struggling with a sexual addiction is uh, the opportunity hopefully one day for her to be able to unfocus on what the other person has done because of the pain she feels so that she has the opportunity to do that for herself. Um, if, I, if I hadn't been encouraged to think about, talk about my history and what influenced me to be the person I am and think the way I do and respond the way I do, I would never have also moved towards knowing some of those things I want to work on changing as my own adult now. So um, that's always my sadness when I see people stuck as a victim is... They, they don't have that chance because of something. I don't know what. Maybe it's the over-focus on trauma. Sometimes I think we can get over-focused on that and keep people stuck by telling them they're going to be hurting the rest of their life or nothing will ever change for their spouse or whatever it is. And I, I simply know that none of that is true. For it hasn't been for me and for the majority of women I see that I work with and other therapists here in our center, it's just not true. And so even the brain chemistry we're starting to talk about now and how that trauma can even affect our brains, what we know is the brain is malleable. And if we can find out how it's been hurt, and also I might just add, I know that our prior experiences in life also add to what our brains look like as an adult on any day. And there's no one experience that shapes our brain to be the way it is. Um, I'll just put in a plug that I, I am a certified professional brain coach through the Amen Clinics, which um, we're huge advocates yeah. of their Us work. Too. And I <laughs> love that. Me too. Oh, yeah. You know, so I just don't buy that. I've had my brain scanned. Ava's done it as well. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. And you know what? Um, we all could probably benefit by knowing what's going on up there and knowing also we can change yes. almost all of that yes. if we want to. Absolutely. So, uh, there's nothing that, you know, we can't work on changing, at least to some extent. And uh, that's that's the hope I always love to have for people. Yeah. So and awesome. it's, really the, it's really the sanctification process, right? Yeah, yeah. it absolutely yes. is. It absolutely is. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Well, Debbie, it was certainly just uh, obviously a pleasure. Uh, you you are a delight and a light uh, to the world, and uh, we yes, you are. We just appreciate you so much. And um, uh, if uh, if somebody wants to get in touch uh, with you with uh, Faithful and True, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, we have a main office number that's actually 
answered by real people today, and I love that. <laughs> That's correct. Um, uh, that, that number is 952-746-3880. And um, our website, which people can find all kinds of information about what we do at our center here in Minneapolis, is um, uh, faithful and spelled out true.com. Mm, awesome. Perfect. And, yeah. You know, it's also true. I, I need to throw this in because I can hear my administrators in my ear really <laughs> saying, you guys are all really busy, you know, and I, you Matt, probably are as well. But it, it's true. Our schedules are packed out, as unfortunately is true with so many clinicians these days. Um, yeah. You know, we feel like one of the best ways we can help people across the country is through our intensives because they're group work and right. we can have more people come. They can be exposed to all of our teaching here and all of our various leaders um, without necessarily getting into individual counseling. So for those who are listening, know that that's still available for anybody that wants to engage with us. And sometimes that leads to a little more in-depth counseling occasionally, sometimes our virtual groups. Um, but that's really where people start with us is through yeah. our workshops. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I want to say one more time, uh, Debbie's new book is From Trauma to Transformation. And it is a great book for partners going through trauma. It's great for clinicians to read, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to have that resource uh, also to recommend to your clients. It, it's available on Amazon and uh, anywhere you buy books, I'm, I would assume. And we have a bookstore also at Faithful and True, that address I just gave you. Um, we sell all of our products uh, at our bookstores, too. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for being with Thank us. Thank you. Well, let's yeah. keep in touch. Absolutely. Same here. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. To learn more about what you've heard today and to engage with the Sex, God, and Chaos team, visit sexgodchaos.com.